Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Scott LaPierre, who is an author, pastor, and a speaker. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Scott LaPierre, who is an author, pastor, and speaker. Today's conversation, we talk about finances. I've had Scott in the past where we talked about marriage. Today we talked about how to manage your finances well, how to manage what God has given us as people, as the people of God Um, in the United States for most of our listeners here, but really how we manage our money um, across the world. Uh, this is not a this is not um, a new thing. In fact, finances is mentioned often in the Bible, in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And so, for those here who are struggling, who um, who don't don't know where to look, uh, you're not alone. There are many who are in this situation right now. And so, we encourage you um, through some, some different ways to consider, to uh, to reflect upon. Um, it's not our way, but it's God's way of of doing it. Uh, so we look at in giving, we look at saving, we look at spending, a few different categories of how we're stewarding what God has given us in finances and money and wealth, um, and how Jesus talks about the rich, the poor, um, and how we respond in faith through his grace in this. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Scott LaPierre. Scott is on for the second time now, was on, I believe, last year, uh, a little bit ago, um, with his the uh, release of his last book, and we got to chat a little bit about his story. So, Scott, welcome back. Yeah, Tyler, thanks for having me back. Glad to be back with you and your listeners and catch up with you. Yeah, thank you. So, I, I know personally you've just moved, and so there's been a lot of change in your life, and then you just, uh, you're, you know, you're an author and a pastor, and so you just released this book, and so... Um, the book is now available, by the way. Your finances, God's way. Would love to just highlight this first. So, congrats. Um, yeah, thank you, Tyler. You can't see me right now, listeners, but I have a copy in my hand, and uh, and there's a workbook as well. And so, I have you know, have it in my hands, and it's uh, you know, it's it's a good read. Just a little bit over 200 pages, and so would start off the bat by encouraging listeners to get a copy. But would love just to to open up and just. Kind of ask you, yeah. What, what have, um, why did you decide to write a book about about finances after last last discussion we had was primarily centered centered around marriage, um, and and such. Yeah. So in a sense, I wrote this finance book for the same reason I wrote the book on marriage. I saw a need. I think it's important, and uh, my books come from my sermons. I don't have the bandwidth to sort of write separately from my preaching. And so mm-hmm. what, one thing mm-hmm. listeners can know is that if they hold one of my books, it's, it's going to be thoroughly biblical because it's mm-hmm. coming from sermons that I preached on God's word. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be like reading a sermon. I hope it doesn't seem like that. But the fact is, um, you know, I preached on my mm-hmm. at my church on finances because I saw a need from the amount of counseling I was doing or people that I was uh, talking to. And, and I don't sure. know if, you know, people listen and say, oh, finances, I don't know if that's really spiritual. You know, you preach on mm-hmm worship or prayer, forgiveness, these other things that seem more spiritual perhaps to people. But if God's word determines what is and isn't spiritual for us, then uh, finances is definitely spiritual because it's 
one of the most common topics in scripture. Right. You know, if we're going to, if we determine what is spiritual by how frequently God discusses something, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. there aren't, there are not many things that are more spiritual by that mm-hmm. definition mm-hmm. than finances. You know, more of Jesus's parables are about finances than uh, anything except heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a grace. It's one of the most important stewardships we have on mm-hmm. this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so w- there's kind of this idea that what we do if you want to really understand someone, look at their checkbook or calendar, right? See how they spend their time or their money, because mm-hmm. those are two of the greatest revelations of, of what's important to us. And so, yeah, I think it's really important what we do with our, our finances. And it's not, mm-hmm. I think toward the beginning of the book, I, I wrote that it's not, I, I hope it does help people uh, get more money. And there's a lot of advice in it, but the point isn't to help people become rich necessarily, because I don't know that that's what God has for everyone, you know, right. for some people. He seems to bless them with more money than others, but the reality is we all have money and we all need to be able to manage it for his glory. And that's mm-hmm. really the heart of the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you. And it makes sense, but it's based on a need and it certainly is a deep need um, today. And I mean, has always been, it's written in, in God's word and scripture. So clearly it was important and the time of the author and um, is important to God and in his way and is, um, it is some, it's certainly, I think, just more relevant right now. And it seemingly uh, there's been a lot of challenges, I guess. You mentioned counseling, not typically not always good things that are how people have been dealing or handling or the, use the good word stewarding their money. So by God's grace, I hope we can get to a good kind of maybe way forward. That, but maybe we can just kind of diagnose what are what have been some of the challenges. So listeners know, hey, A, maybe you're not alone in that a lot of people are dealing with this. Um, but B also just, just to see, I'm curious of what some of the challenges have been, um, that maybe some of the big kind of pitfalls we can fall into with our, our stewardship and, uh, mm-hmm. our understanding of finances. Yeah. Two, two things come to mind and you've kind of been alluding to them. And so the first one relates to the word stewardship or management. I, it's in people often don't see finances as a stewardship. And if you think biblically of what a steward is, a steward is someone who doesn't own anything. And that's why there is a disconnect because we call them, we call it, you know, my finances or my money. So we think the money Mm -hmm. we have is actually our money. And so one of the first things is to recognize that really the money you have isn't really your money. It's God's money. Um, To be a steward or manager Mm -hmm. means Mm -hmm. to be in possession of something that doesn't belong to you. But that you are expect you're responsible for it, and so that that can be a real um, paradigm shift for for people, Tyler, for people to recognize that the money they have doesn't really belong to them, and that's the case. I mean, this is has application for every area of the Christian life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we have nine children, and none of them belong to me. I call them my children, but they they belong to the Lord, and I'm blessed to have to be their father throughout throughout my life and their lives. But mm-hmm. my wife, she doesn't belong to me, even if I call her my wife or my car, or my house. And it's a paradigm shift for people to recognize that all of the things uh, that we have are actually stewardships. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible says what is what is required of stewards except that they be found faithful. And so that's the main – if you've ever owned something and allowed someone to be a steward of it or be in custody of it, what you desire is that they be faithful or responsible with it. And mm-hmm. God has the exact same desire for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it in the parable of talents. The guys get five talents, two talents, one talent. Uh, they're rewarded based on their – not how much they produce because the guy with five and two, the one guy with five talents gets five more. The guy with two talents only gets two more, which is less than half of the other guy, but he was equally faithful and he was equally rewarded. And so that's, that's God's desire in every area of life that we be faithful with whatever he's blessed us with. Um, the, the other mm-hmm, pitfall mm-hmm. 
that I try to address with people, assuming most of your listeners are in the United States, is helping them recognize that they're actually much wealthier than they're aware. Because if you Mm -hmm. are listening to this and you live in the United States, you're not just one of the wealthiest people throughout uh, human history, you're one of the wealthiest people in the world today. Most Americans enjoy a level of wealth that is unknown to almost everyone who's ever lived. Even the, even the people in our country that we consider to be poor or living below the poverty line are still very wealthy compared, judged by the living standards of the rest of the world. And that's kind of a, you know, a shocking realization for people, but it is true. And, uh, you know, a simple search on the internet for average income or disposable income for other households or other countries shows just how opulent and wealthy Americans are. And so if that's the case, then that means that we typically have enough money. I, and I, I know some people could buck against that, but they do have enough money if they will handle it well, make good choices, um, be responsible with it. And so that's one of the other things I'll really prep. You know, people come in for counseling. One of the first things we do is we write down their budgets with, you know, their expenses, their income and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they kind of wonder where the money goes. It's like, well, you know, I have this mortgage. I have these car payments. I have this. I should have this left over. Why are things so tight? And we start kind of looking into some of what are frequently people's money is consumed by small purchases that add up that they don't think as much about. And I have a whole chapter on this mm-hmm. about small per, you know, whether it's just stopping at Starbucks every day on the way to work, you know, in over five years, it's like 7,000 bucks that goes toward that. Uh, that doesn't even factor in eating out the extra items we buy at the store that we don't need, um, extra subscription services. You know, if you got Netflix, do you need Hulu and HBO or <laughs> other things? You know, and then yeah, that's interesting because when you look at how much it costs to go out to the movies, it's, it's near a hundred bucks for people that have a hand, as many kids we could never do it. I mean, with nine kids, we'd maybe a few hundred dollars. So I, so I'd even recommend, Hey, do you need to go to the movies? Could you get a subscription service instead? And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, just, just things like that. Looking at where all that money goes, helps people see, wow, I do have, I am making more money than I thought mm-hmm. I was. So I actually have a, what I would say, people don't typically have income problems. They have spending problems, right? getting them to recognize those can really help their situations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's helpful. And just, I think a few points just want to kind of echo and for that, yeah, or make sense is one is, is just kind of, I know your book starts with a parable of the talents too. Um, and I just love how you start with that in the teachings of Jesus of what's really what you, what you've been given and what you do with what you've been given. And if you've been faithful with a little, um, God tends to provide more responsibility or more ownership. Um, to to manage as we're managers as you as you pointed out and yeah i think it's really interesting is how we're right our finances are is part of our faith and so i mean if we're working 40 hours or plus a week right like many people are nowadays um then clearly you know when we're we're acquiring an income then that's part of our daily life and so it's very it's part of our part of what we're doing every single day and i would i would hope you bring your faith into your work <laughs> I'd hope that there's a level of excellence a level of you know of service of loving your neighbor of honoring God in uh, in your work um, that carries over and so why wouldn't it why wouldn't it go into your finances as well finance as well yeah yeah the, the one, one thing I guess what I wanted to ask you on was uh, yeah I think that you noted you said something and you said disposable income and I thought that was a really interesting component too um, because I, I would, I guess I would, A, I would, I would push back, but I would also kind of inquire because the disposable income, I do think, I think we, 
we spend a lot and I, we just did an audit, my wife and I, of looking at what we spend and we're like, actually, we eat out a lot. Oh, you know, for us, it, the entertainment wasn't that big. For us, at least it was the eating out. We're like, we eat out a lot and we can go to the grocery store and save a lot less. But this is, um, you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. And I think the, 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 the nut, kind of the, the kind of basic needs, right? Thinking about housing, rent has gone up extraordinarily high in the last and a lot of people are suffering. So how kind of have you, and I think people are now starting to think about this in a, in a tighter capacity as well. So have you looked into any of the kind of the research or the, the numbers on folks who are not doing so well in, in, in our economy or aren't the, where, where the, the gap of potentially of salary uh, is not even able to cover some of the you know, basic needs or I don't know how much you've kind of dug into that. Yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead and share just hope, hopefully to have a little yeah. credibility for your listeners. In fact, one of the reasons I think, Har- you know, if you ever, if I back up a little bit, if you ever want to write a book for any of your listeners and you want to have a traditional publisher publish it for you versus self-publishing it, then one of the first things the publisher is going to say, especially if it's a book about a common topic like finances is there or marriage, and my other book, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we talked about was marriage, they're going to say, hey, that's great. Marriage books are wonderful. But what separates your book from every other marriage book published? Or what separates your finance book from the sure. other finance books that have been published? Um, one thing you kind of mentioned that, like, I, and I will get around to, to your question, yeah. but you said the parable of the talents. Well, I wanted, I think it's important to deal with people's hearts first. And if you deal with people's hearts, then that's going to shape their behavior. And we see that with the epistles. If you read most of the epistles, there's theology or doctrine followed by application. If, if it's Romans, if it's Galatians, you know, mm-hmm. Ephesians is a uh, one through three is doctrine, four through six application. Galatians, Romans, mm-hmm. you know, these mm-hmm. books follow these approaches because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to target people's hearts before telling them what to do. And after their heart is shaped, then that's the right. behavior follows. That's, right. so that's largely yeah. the approach I took with my that's right. to having the parable of the, and it, you know, just from reading the beginning that it doesn't jump into really strong application until later, because I don't think if you tell people what to do, if their hearts aren't into it, then they're not going to do it. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, that was one thing that I thought set my book apart. And then, and then with Harvest House, when they asked me, that's one of the things I shared with them that it, it makes it different than other finance books is it's one based on scripture and deals with people's hearts. And then the other thing is, I said, I think I have some credibility, or I, I didn't say this. I think they're the ones that noticed this. They said, hey, this guy's a single-income pastor, you know, nine kids, homeschooling, his wife stays home. Uh, before this, I was an elementary school teacher. I've never made wow. a ton of money. Yep. And so I think they wow. thought I would have credibility with readers. Uh, and then cost mm-hmm. of living. I mean, we're in Washington State. Just to give you an idea, you and I were talking a little before the show so that people know that I'm feeling this too. We sold our – my parents um, had moved from California to be near us. We're mm-hmm. very close. My dad passed away unexpectedly, so we felt a strong responsibility to take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. Dad, dad passed away uh, last year. Mom was lonely, and, and I talked to Katie, my wife, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. said, what, what would you think about my mom moving in with us? We'll probably have to take care of her when she gets older anyway. Katie liked the idea, and so we sold our house and started renting. And we, re- we rented a house, uh, one of the only ones we could find that would fit someone with nine kids and a mother-in-law, you know, it's, they just, I think people expect their house might get trashed or something. So a property management company rented this, rented a house to us. It was um, $4,200 per month for rent. And they just bumped it up to $5,000 per month. So we're moving out. I looked at the listing and they're listing it for $5,000 per month. 
the cost of living in Washington is state where I live is incredibly high. Right, right. That's why many people are moving from Washington to other areas of the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is one approach. So if your listeners are listening and they feel right. like they're, the cost of living is, is too much for them. This is why people are going to some of the other cheaper states, although the inflation is affecting those as well. And especially with the influx of people, yep. then, you know, there's lower supply, there's higher demand. So the prices of housing and so forth are, yep. are going up there as well. Um, it is, it's tough, you know, obviously to be paying, if it's a mortgage or a rent to be mm -hmm. paying them to lose that much of your, of your salary to that, you know, I don't know what people's specifics are, but if they can talk to their employer, I like to think that most employers who want to keep good employees are going to understand what the cost of living is in the area. And so someone that goes to their boss and says, you know, I, I like working here. I'm striving to do my best. I hope that's evident. Uh, I want to be faithful, but I'm just letting you know, I'm trying to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is what you're paying me. And then this is what the cost mm -hmm. of living is. Now, interestingly, mm -hmm. as much as I, I actually had to kind of have that conversation with my elders because, you know, I love them, but they weren't super familiar with some of the inflation. I literally went and sat with my elders and I said, Hey, you know, you guys have always taken care of me. It's been great, but inflation's been over 10%. Um, cost of living has followed uh, proportionately. It's gotten a lot more expensive. We need to get a new house. And I just had to, and then they, their eyes were kind of open. It was like, wow, you know, that is, that is significant. And so sometimes it's just having a conversation mm -hmm. with our boss, assuming they want to keep us. Now, mm -hmm. if they don't, well, then that's another possibility is we're looking for another job and praying that God opens the door. Because one of, one of the nice things, Tyler, mm -hmm. is we can pray knowing certain things. Like, if a, if a young lady comes to me and she says, you know, w we want to have a baby or a young man says, I want to get married. I don't know when God wants that to happen, but I do know that he wants men to be able to take care of their families because it says in the Bible, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So I can pray with a man and say, Lord, help this man to be able to take care of his family. It doesn't mean it's going to be extravagant, but we can pray. And one of the ways right. God does that right. is he might provide right. a promotion right. or a raise. He might, pr he might provide another job. And so I'm not saying it's not going to involve Sure. any sure. change but yeah we we feel the pinch too and mm -hmm. it's one of the that'd be a whole other discussion about our country's economics and the inflation and and all of these um, right. qual quantitative or the um, stimulus spending sure, to sure. Ease, ease people's burden which i don't i think might have done something temporarily but hurts us more in the long run because i'm not i'm not a big fan of that but mm -hmm. yeah bringing it before the lord mm -hmm. there you know there's too yeah. many variables to try to address all of them right now but to bring them before the right, lord, say, right. lord what do you want? What should I do? How can I best take care of my family? Now, yeah. one of the things that people sometimes they don't want to do, and I don't want to sound harsh when I say this, is they don't want to make some changes to their lifestyles. And to be able to survive at times and pay your bills and pay off some debt and save up money typically revolves, involves an amount of sacrifice. That's right. I That's actually right. haven't counseled anyone who didn't have enough money but I have counseled people who frequently did not want to make the sacrifices necessary to survive off that amount of money. We, right. We've got some people who are dealing with a lot of expenses and they've had their wives stay home. One family that wants to start homeschooling and they weren't dealing with a lot, but they were willing to make those sacrifices to see those circumstances um, occur. Right. No, thank you. I, I think that that's, I think it meets the need of a lot of people who are listening and a lot of people can feel that. And, you know, if you're feeling it, a lot of people are feeling that too. And, I know it's, I'm in New England and some of my listeners are here, but regardless, it's the inflation, the cost of gas, everything has been 
changing across the country. And uh, I think mm-hmm. at every level, people are, are feeling it. And, but I also, so I think I appreciate the heart kind of posture of how we're, how we're asking as well as, you know, for, for that provision um, to help better manage our household. But also at the same time as an internal examination of, let, let me actually take stock of really what I'm spending on. And yeah, there's, there's the, there's a sacrificial way of, 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 um, of managing it well. Um, and <clears throat> pardon me, a lot of us have gotten very comfortable with kind of um, super, superfluous, I don't know if it's too strong of a word, but sometimes uh, over the top um, that are not needs, but are wants. And so um, what we <laughs> call it. I mean, that's, that's great to right. just to get people to distinguish between necessities or essentials and non-essentials and the problem with believing certain things are essentials when they're actually non-essentials. That's right. Yeah. We've experienced back here, just to come to a circle, we've experienced a large degree of, um, uh, I think, yeah, just um, not having to, to even really get down to the level of what our basic needs because we haven't, we haven't had that in our country for a long time. And so, um, Anyways, well, let's let's move from there and let's kind of get back into God's word here and um, to kind of talked about you know I, I think there's a few different elements right that you mentioned in the book so we talk about about giving we talk about spending and we talk about saving um, and so I know oftentimes what are some of the different examples we see in Scripture and don't have to get too deep but some of the bigger ones we talked about the parable of talents but maybe a few other guiding scriptures that you would um, would look encourage listeners to look at and to, to study and to meditate on when when God brings up and uh, money and finances. Yeah, yeah. So in that the parable of talents, the third people might not think of that as uh, financial as it actually is because a talent was uh, a unit of money in the ancient world. Hmm. There's a reason that God used that. And then the master told the third servant, he said, "You could have invested this and at least made me some interest." And so right there, it's a small window, but we see a little window into God's desire for us to invest, um, to provide interest. You know, some people say, "Would God? how does God want us handling finances? Well, right there, we see that he promoted um, investing and providing interest from that. Because especially with inflation, to just have money in savings is to have money that's losing money, right? Because your savings account, the interest is not going to keep up. Um, Proverbs 6 the ant is applauded as this great example for us, and not just of working hard, primarily, actually for two reasons, because he works hard when nobody's looking, but the ant is also a great saver, and he prepares and he stores up. And so one of the most, I mean, so it's, and I don't think it's just talking about storing up food or something along those lines, it's talking about primarily, I think, storing up financially, preparing for retirement. Another parable, and this is probably speaking of retirement, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about retirement. In the ancient, right. in the Old Testament, there were priests that served a certain, mm-hmm. and I have a whole chapter in the book on retirement, I think toward the back. And if you, so if you haven't mm-hmm. read most of the book mm-hmm. yet, you haven't re- probably reached this chapter, but the priests, it's an interesting view of retirement. And generally God does things much better than we do. And the way retirement worked for the priest was they didn't retire into some, um, sort of lazy, luxurious way, extravagant way of living where they stop serving or doing anything. Kind of mm. the American typical mindset for retirement is like you go just relax on the beach and at your vacation home or travel the country and basically right. do nothing. So right. it's incredibly sad to me. Right. Christians who've served the Lord faithfully for many decades would then just sort of stop serving him and live this life wow. of luxury. There's nothing wow. biblically to support that. Wow. The, so the priests, what they would do 
they served and they took on much of that physical labor. And then at 50, they stepped back and they turned that labor over to the younger men, but then they served or assisted in another capacity. Hmm. And so the application is when people retire, they can still, they might not be doing as much or have as much energy or vitality as they did when they were younger, but they can continue serving in a way that is appropriate for their season of life and for their health and for their, for their vitality. And so all the, these older people can be serving, especially in the church. I mean, it's, and I'll say this as a pastor, it's sad to me that much of the ministry falls on younger couples when there are older couples who have the most time, they could be doing a lot of this. That's right. Um, The second thing, the parable of the rich fool, you know, that's a parable that deals exclusively with finances and being a good steward of it. You've got this rich man who has a crop as a farmer, your crops are money, right? You know, if you're an author, your books are money. And so for a farmer to have a great harvest like he did is really to have a whole bunch of money. And he had such a harvest, he didn't even have enough, you know, warehouses or, or silos, whatever they had in the ancient world to store all the crops. And he says, I'll just build more storehouses and more and more and more. And he thinks all about himself. And then God calls him, that's why it's called the parable of the rich fool, because he only prepared for his earthly future instead of his eternal future. Mm -hmm. And that's a great, that has great application for us Mm -hmm. with our finances, because when we are thinking about our earthly finances, we shouldn't have an earthly perspective. We should have an eternal perspective. And the idea is how can I use my earthly finances to prepare for my um, heavenly eternity, my um, eternity in heaven. And so that's why Jesus actually says, you take your money here, but you store it up or use it where moth and rust don't destroy. So he's saying, take what you have on earth to prepare for heaven and set up a better eternity for yourself, which that rich fool, he obviously, he didn't do. And so, and that's also kind of the closest picture of retirement in the new Testament. He says, I'll just take my ease. I'll relax. I won't do anything else. And he gets, you know, it's clearly he's presented very negatively in scripture. And so nobody would ever save up so much money that they stop. If God does allow you to retire at any age, you basically retire into Christian service. You just start using the time and energy you have right, to, right. to serve the Lord. So that's a, that's another parable that I think um, deals with that pretty well. Can you, yeah, those, those are two great ones and um, very fascinating points. Cause I, yeah, you, I, <laughs> I had a hard time finding any, any, um, anything on retirement. And so it's, uh, yeah, I think we have been sold for a while that you go down to uh, probably maybe it, people go down to Arizona for you if you're living or Florida or something. Yeah, or yeah, Flo- yeah, Arizona. You're right, someplace close to us to the coast. Florida, yeah. yeah, Florida for us or maybe the Carolinas. But yeah, I, I yeah, it, I think it's very interesting. So can you can maybe give us the way forward of right if we're not storing up our treasure here on Earth but we're preparing it for eternity? What does that look like then? Good. Yeah, so it's basically using our income or wealth for God's kingdom. And there are multiple ways to do that. There's uh, giving to the church. I talk uh, quite a bit about tithing. I think there's some misunderstanding about tithing. Tithing is more of an Old Testament Hmm. uh, approach to giving or more like actually if you wanted to think of it in our terms, it would be more like a taxation tax system. So new under the Old Covenant, uh, tithes were more like taxes that paid for the temple. There was multiple tithes. It wasn't even one tithe. The, the percent was a lot closer to 25% or one fourth. Oh, wow. So someone said, I do feel bound to tithe that, and they probably mean 10%. You know, you could even press them and say, well, it, I mean, which tithe? there was multiple tithes, which one would you give? And we can't even really tithe today because they had to tithe on wine and grain and every, you hmm. know, everything they had. I mean, we, we can't really do that. 
so the idea is New Testament believers are not, New Covenant believers are not commanded to tithe, but we're definitely commanded to give. And most of us probably should give more than 10%. It's almost like 10% is a, is a, um, it's not a ceiling. It's more like the floor you build, you begin from there. Right, and right, if you're right. given more than, you know, Luke twelve forty eight, of whom much is given, much is required. The more you're given, the more you're blessed with, yeah. then the more God would expect. Now, if you've lost your job or you have a lot of medical bills, from there's other circumstances that can affect our giving, right. but that's one of the primary ways to use what, to, to use our earthly wealth to prepare for eternity mm-hmm. by being generous and giving toward our church for our missionaries. Um, in Luke 16, there's the one of Jesus's most confusing parables about the dishonest steward. And it's the one where it looks like Jesus is applauding someone for his dishonesty. He's the guy that knows he's going to get fired. And so then he goes out and he settles all these accounts with all these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's called shrewd, but he's basically dishonest. And Jesus doesn't applaud the man's dishonesty the manager applauds the way which is not the same as jesus applauding his dishonesty but the point is that we we can learn from this guy because what he did was he took his present circumstances to prepare for his eternity he says that he stored up friends for himself in the future and interestingly jesus makes the point in the parable that we store up friends for ourselves by investing in the gospel because every single cent you give to the gospel that leads to someone's salvation ends up being a friend for you for eternity. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a fascinating insight in that parable in Luke 16, I think verses one through 16 for some, or I can't remember if it's the beginning of the first half of the chapter, second half, but people can check that out okay. and see that Jesus is basically saying, you can learn from this unbeliever by doing spiritually what he did physically. By think he took, there's a few things he did that were commendable. He knew he was going to be held to account right. or called to account. And he took that seriously. And so the idea is there are some people who take more seriously that they will be held to account by an earthly individual than some people hold, take seriously that they're going to be held to account by God, the creator of the universe. You know, so some people would be afraid of going in and standing before their employer, but they're not taking seriously someday that they'll stand before Christ. Hmm. And so this, so the idea is he took this seriously that he was going to be judged and held accountable. And we should take seriously that we'll be judged and held accountable. And one of the ways that he was a good steward earth uh, physically speaking not spiritually was he took these things seriously and he acted with the little window of time that he had well in a sense there's a small window of time we have when you consider that in light of eternity we don't live that long and so to take advantage of that window we have so this guy prepared for his future with that window and we should prepare for our eternal future with the window that that we have and one of the ways is by supporting missionaries or people mm-hmm. who spread the gospel you actually become part of their ministry right. in a small way even though you're not out there doing the legwork that's by right. supporting them financially and prayerfully mm-hmm. so that's a great way to be a good and the other thing is with yeah. benevolence i'm not the biggest fan of giving money to people that stand on the side of the road um second thessalonians 3 says that the people that don't don't work shouldn't eat and you know I, again i don't want to sound harsh but I think what those people really need is a job, not more money that allows them to stay there on the street corner. It's not to say that there's not legitimate needs, but most of these people that can stand on a street corner for the number of hours they do have the health or physical ability to go work somewhere. And so I think it can be enabling that we generally want to um, stay away from. But one one way, if you are concerned, to be benevolent is if you give your money to the church in our situation as an elder or with the other elders, we have the time to do the research and determine whether we should give to people. And there's people we've helped that have come. Most of the people 
they, we don't help because they just don't want anything more than money. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to be part of the our church family or even listen to you share the gospel. But there are some people we've gotten to know. We've bought plane tickets. We've helped with surgeries. But we're really, as elders, we actually have the time and bandwidth to try to do this research to determine. So that's another thing I would say is it's a pretty good approach to give your money to to your elders or to your church for them to be able to determine benevolence issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's perfect. I was going to ask you that. Obviously, Jesus kind of critiques the some of those, who are the, you know, the rich young ruler. Um and speaks a lot about those who are, yeah, are in need. You know, what you have done to the least of these, you will do to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, often, you know, we can we can see how the, the not saying that, you know, there's the, some people who have kind of, who have flipped this and think that this is salvific perhaps in itself and we get into liberation theology and get into, and um, kind of get down. Some of the woke stuff we see going on. Yeah. And we get into a kind of a, it's like, well, that's, you know, what, and we get kind of into a workspace salvation as well. Um, But at the same time, I think there is a call to serve those in need as the love of Mm -hmm. Christ. Um, And I think, I think that's good is that, if you provide for church or for other missions based organizations who are meeting those needs and are ministering and are, um, kind of, yeah, bringing the gospel story into that action. And that's something that we do. Um, we, yeah, we serve those, but we, we do so in a way that's not potentially, you know, glory. It's, they're not necessarily glorified handouts, but it's something where we're trying to give them a step up and promote and encourage, um, and for example, and then plug them into a job and, and, and give them a job opportunity. And so, mm-hmm. um, and that's something we've, found, we've seen some fruit in as well is, you know, is meeting people and then being able to say, yeah, let's, well, let's find a, what's a sustainable way for you to then be able to now engage and, and participate in what, in God's stewardship, right? And through work is a, mm-hmm. is, is a way that we're able to, it's the initial command in the garden gave Adam a job. And so, don't have to get too deep into into that. Maybe that's a, another book, but um, um, but yeah. And so, just want to kind of maybe just an example of how you mentioned it briefly, but just kind of a f- of financial blessing. You you said some of those are who are gifted, you know, who have been given that gift of you maybe a increased finances compared to others, but really just any of us who have financial blessing and are able to then sh- kind of share that blessing and bless others. Can you just maybe share an example or two that have been significant just as a word of encouragement for us here yeah okay i'll I'll use myself you know as an example uh when my wife and i got married we felt convicted to let god give us the number of kids he wanted to give us when he wanted to give them to us or you know turn the womb over to him or let him plan our family however you want to however you want to say it's not a commentary on what we think everyone else should do you know i never stood in my pulpit and said hey i think you know everyone should just have as many kids as they as they can. And that wasn't, and that even that, it wasn't like we were trying to, for lack of a better way, it's not like trying to have as many kids as you can. It was more like could have had three or four, just wanted to have what God wanted to give us. It's been nine, could be, you know, Katie turned 40. We don't know how many more he'll give us, maybe no more. But anyway, um, that was a step of faith for us because we also felt convicted to homeschool. And so that meant we're going to be single income. And at that time, I'm a school teacher in California, which is another expensive state. And God has always provided for us. And I, and I don't mean provided like we're li- living sort of, you know, really mediocre lives and we can't afford anything. I mean, provided, not extravagant. You know, my kids joke with me that I still drive this Buick LeSabre around, which is like an old person's car. Um, 
we do try to be frugal, kids shop at Goodwill, but we've never sat back and not been able to pay bills. We've never wanted to go somewhere. And, and for like vacations or trips, we don't look at flying across the world, but we've never said, Hey, we want to drive to this conference and we can't do it. We've always been able to stay, stay in hotels. And Mm -hmm. so God's provided for us. We've always had the food we needed. Um, my kids have never had to go without, and I don't credit that to my, um, you know, my wisdom or anything brilliant that I've ever done. I just credit it to kind of Matthew six thirty three. Jesus said that seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. And I've taken that to mean that you kind of go through life doing what God wants and let him pick up the tab, you know? And so every day right. the question is, what does God want me to do? I'll, I'll try to do that the best I can. And I'll trust that God will provide for me. Uh, I don't think it ever means that we're going to be rich. Uh, I, I mean, unless God has that for you, some people he does. But being rich means you have a higher accountability then because mm-hmm, you're stewarding mm-hmm, more. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I think we're, we're a pretty good um, mm-hmm. testimony. Right. Uh, my yeah. church takes care of me, but it's, you don't know, go into ministry. It's just like you. I mean, you do the show, Tyler, you're trying to bless people. You're not in this for the money. You're, you want to serve the Lord and you do a great job with this. You're interviewing people and then their words are going out and reaching lots of people. And so that's the same reason you become, yeah. you know, or publish books. You know, my books right. don't make a lot of money. Uh, you write because you want, you hope that your message reaches people. And so, yeah, I think our family has experienced a lot of blessing from God. And mm-hmm. he's, we're mm-hmm. a good example of, mm-hmm. of his provision mm-hmm. and care for us. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, it, you know, it's a testament. It's if you're able to make it work and then, you know, with nine children in, a, in the West Coast, on a pastoral salary, you know, of a, you know, and previously as a, in a teaching salary. Yeah. Then there's, I think it's a call for reflection, um, for, for many listeners here. And so just, just to kind of wrap up in, uh, in conclusion here, just, um, yeah, just for the person here who is overwhelmed, who is not, not sure where to start, right. There's a lot of, a lot of things that could be doing, but like what, where do we start for just for the Good. anxious person? Yeah, I think to, I appreciate it. I, I don't remember if it was when we were just talking before the interview or you shared it when we were interviewing, but you said you did an audit. And I appreciate that. That's a humble look at what you and yeah. your wife are doing and where you need to make some changes, perhaps. And you did. I'll, I'll, you did find some places to make some changes. And so I think that's part of it. It's just being honest, honestly assessing ourselves where we're at. And so take a look, um, create a budget. I have a whole bunch of budgets available on my website. I mean, even that might be how I'd end to share a little bit about where yeah. people can reach out to me. Yeah. But if people go to my website, they can find a bunch of free budgets there, different ones. They can, they can choose one that they like and to put all that down and then see where their money is going right. and do this really prayerfully, you know, enter this with, uh, you know, your hands open, like open handedly, Lord, what do you want for us? Direct us, help us to handle your, your finances well. Because God has the ability to stretch our money very far for us, and he has the ability to make sure that our money doesn't go very far, you know. And so if we put it in his hands, then he can give us give us what we need. And so that would be my encouragement. Let finances, which I know are incredibly pragmatic and practical, try to view them spiritually or by faith mm-hmm. and approach them how God would have you view them. And so, yeah, you know, thanks for having me on the show and for this opportunity, yeah. Tyler. If people want to know more about me, they can, you'll probably put the link to my website in the show notes or something. Yeah. Okay. And I, I have a free gift for your listeners. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Healthy Marriages. It's just a pretty short read for any of your married people that are listening. It'd be my gift that I hope would bless you and your marriage. And um, my website also has a contact page there. People can reach out to me if they have any questions. 
or I can pray for them or anyway. And that's just scottlapierre.org, S-C-O-T-T-L-A-P-I-E-R-R-E.org. You can find the link in the show notes there. So thanks for all you're doing, Tyler, and thanks for having me on the show today. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. And uh, God bless you and uh, the service you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you.